Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Ghost Story, starring Fred Astaire, Melvin Douglas, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., John Hausman, Craig Wasson, and Alice Kurge, written by Lawrence D. Cohen, based on the book Ghost Story by Peter Straub, and directed by John Irvin. Hey, there's a lot of people in this movie, isn't there? <laughs> there's Swan Song. There's, yeah, literally, there's Swan Song. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to continue on our Horror Plus One cast. And up next, from 1981, we're looking at Ghost Story. And we just finished watching it in the other room with our guest. He's going to be a familiar voice for you, going all the way back to our great Rise of Skywalker episode. <laughs> Nate, I, uh, I want you to go ahead and introduce yourself. Sorry. Hey, guys. It's uh, Nate. You remember me from Star Wars? Yeah. I was telling Matt the other day that I was, I was kind of in here doing some work, and I was thinking about uh, Ray's uh, lineage to Palpatine. I was like, how the heck was she related to her? And I thought about it for like five seconds, and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> so, succinctly put. Succinctly put. So, excellent. Welcome back, Nate. Thank you. Excellent. So, we're going to be having some more of the King's Creek Sour Mash Whiskey. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers, fellas. <laughs> to, the to you all. The Chowder Society. The Chowder Society. And we're about to tell you a ghost story, aren't we? You a fan of Sour Mash Whiskeys? You know, I've never actually tasted one. That's nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, this has been a new, this has been a great bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Excellent, gentlemen. Well, let's dive right in and get started with our flight question. have some definite thoughts on the music so when we get to that I'll, we can definitely share those but Nate as you know uh part of the the role of the guest is to bring us the questions so why don't you go ahead and uh, hit us with that flight question this week okay so after watching this movie I noticed everything about the special effects in this movie they were just great so my question for you guys is to name regardless of budget and year name your top three horror films with the best special effects the ones that you found most terrifying but also the most memorable okay excellent start at three let's go around the room i'll kick us off mm-hmm. i'm gonna go with the original wolfman i just think the amount of time that they put in to make lon cheney jr look like that wolfman was quite an endeavor and we hadn't seen i shouldn't say we because that's way before my time but they we film going people i don't think had seen that level of commitment to the look of the creature or monster up to that point. I know there's an argument to be made for Frankenstein and that's, that's a good one. You could also go with, you know, some of the classic stuff too. And I don't want to get too ahead of myself because there may be some other people want to use that. So I don't want to steal that from them. The amount of fur that is put on him and the look and the, the posture and the clothing that was an arduous task and that movie works because 
it's fun to watch him change from human to wolf. The rest of the, the rest of the werewolf trope is stupid. That's a stupid monster. <laughs> Werewolves are ridiculous. They don't make sense. It's a stupid monster. But that's not a stupid portrayal on screen, and I think that works. I don't know if it's terrifying. I wouldn't say that. And I don't even know if, by all standards, that's the best werewolf we've ever seen. We talked about Rick Baker earlier this week. Mm -hmm. We can get into that. I think, for me, first is important because that sets the standard, and that is a terrific job of creating a believable, bipedal, semi-humanoid creature that we can relate to that doesn't look like we do. Yeah. So I'm going to go with that. That's three for me. Jack Pierce's was really good at designing those those monsters in those early days. I mean, from yes. Frankenstein to the Bride to yeah, the the Wolfman. Good choice. What do you got? I'm going to go with uh, Ridley Scott's Alien. Mm. That chest burster scene gets me every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah, I got it. That's number three for you. You've got a list coming here. Holy <laughs> smokes! Wow, <laughs> throw down the gauntlet at three, man. <clears throat> No, you have the design of the Xenomorph, yeah. you know, Carlo Rambaldi, who went on to do E.T. and designed that guy. But he was Equally like... Equally terrifying in its own right. Yes. <laughs> he was uh, yeah, kind of in charge of like creating that mouth and then Giger's designs. Yeah. I specifically told myself, can't pick Alien. So, uh, no, great choice. Yeah, that's, that's, great that, choice. that's a slam dunk. Yeah. Number three for me, I'm actually going to kind of play in the universal space, but with the Invisible Man... Um, when Matt and I did the episode on the original one, I think we were both pretty surprised for 1933, the amount of technicality that went into, um, you know, making this guy look invisible for, and then there's that whole scene where he's kind of dancing with like his shirt Uh and throwing stuff and it looks pretty good. And then when he removes the bandages and there's nothing and he throws his nose. Yeah. So that was John P. Fulton, John G. Mescal and Frank D. Williams. I mean, pretty, pretty ahead of the curve for. Uh, green screen uh, effects done in camera. So that's my number three. It's good. That's a nice start. Number twos. The split screen prom sequence in Carrie. Um, She's done pretty simply, right? Mm-hmm. Dump some blood on her, have her stand awkwardly with big, big eyes. But the amount of damage that that sequence shows in a believable way. And then the way that Carrie cues the audience into where the action is going to occur next. And then the ability to pull that off in a fashion that is timed is editing, but it's also the look of it. Mm -hmm. As we see three teachers and four students get smashed against the wall underneath a the backboard and just the amount of hell she unleashes and the effectiveness to the way that looks is my number two. Does the, the fire hose run amok work for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. I could come across as pretty silly, but yeah, I, I, I dig it in that sequence. Good choice. Thanks. Number two. Number two. Mm. I choose John Carpenter's the thing. <laughs> it's the best, one of the best special effects movies I've ever seen. It's amazing. Yeah. It It's just top notch. What's your favorite one from the film? The part that I remember the most yeah. that scares the hell out of me every time mm-hmm. 
when he's giving the guy compressions. Yeah. And his stomach opens up and it bites his hands off. And then the head's coming off and the spider legs come out. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, just the, 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 the concept of that alien to be able to imitate and become other things in its environment lends just so much creativity yeah. to... The noises that it makes, that, like, weird screaming and stuff. It's just, it's creepy. What's your favorite one from the that film? Well, that's going to be my number one. Oh, okay. Oh. I actually have something from that. That's save, one. save it. Yeah. <laughs> I also told myself, Jesse, you cannot pick the thing. <laughs> so my favorite um, is probably that opening dog bit. When that dog's yeah. head splits four ways and you're like, yikes. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are we in for? Damn it, child's torch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> number two for me um, is actually uh, some special effects from the man who did the ones in Ghost Story, Dick Smith. Uh, legendary makeup guy did The Exorcist and a lot of big horror films. I'm actually going to go with Scanners, and in particular, the exploding... Like, no one had ever seen a head explode like that before. And if you're watching this movie about telekinesis, and you're like, yeah, what, what's this movie about? And this guy's head explodes in the first five minutes. Like, you're in for, like, a wild ride. And honestly, I don't know if the movie gets better than that moment. It's just <laughs> so iconic in, in the horror genre. So that's my number two. Great choice. Yeah, yeah. Number one. Number one is also from The Thing. Mm -hmm. My favorite bit in that is the Binnings bit. His long, weird arms, Mm. his mouth, that vacuous sound that sort of escapes from there that's inhuman and unholy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think that's really, really well done. It's certainly a little bit more downplayed than the dog opening and the spider head. Mm -hmm. And I just think for me... I love to watch the body dysmorphia as human. It's more relatable. The other stuff works too. I'm not saying that. I just find that really interesting when you can take human, and a lot of this kind of applies in this film today too, and change that, that it's still recognizable, but painful. Like if you think about, oh my God, that would really hurt. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that Benning's bit in the snow uh, Mm -hmm. is really, really, really well done. I love that bit in that film. So there's my number one, Binnings from The Thing. That's great. You know which effect I also really like in that one is when uh, Wilford Brimley Blair like sticks his fingers in um, mm-hmm. within that guy's face and he's just kind of like... Drags uh, him down the hall. Through his cheeks. Like that's that's a pretty good little makeup effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. It drags him by his face. Yeah. All right, Nate, All number right. one. Number one. Most memorable and scary makeup effect and everything I've ever seen. Okay. The Exorcist. It that movie is today the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life. It mm. still scares me. Mm-hmm. Like, like the spider walk up the stairs, the throwing up the pea green soup. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't beat that. It's just so. And you know, growing up Catholic and everything, it it scares the hell out of you it just hit, to think about it. It hits you harder <laughs> it for <does>. sure. <laughs> the one I really like from that one too is uh, when they go into her room late at night and then on her chest like the words help me like just like appear on the skin and you're like oh my goodness uh any consideration to the exorcist matt yeah i did to that what you did with alien can't choose it you said yeah because <laughs> it would have been there's any 15 moments in that film sure. I f- yeah i feel like there's like on rice smile films there's three films that always come up it's like alien the thing whiplash yeah. Whiplash doesn't have any good makeup effects so it wasn't in consideration for this film but um the blood on the symbols, maybe. The blood on the symbols. Yeah, that was for sure number mm-hmm. one. I 
I'm not going to let myself talk about that in any of these lists anymore. We've talked about it so much. But great. Nate, for you, great choices. Great choice. Yeah. Yes. But, but honestly, that's that was probably be my lineup. Is <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the true number threes. All right. My number one. I'm actually going to go with Peter Jackson's uh, effects in Dead Alive. Uh, in my quest for for horror films, after finding Evil Dead and all the Halloweens and the Freddies and everything, it was like, oh my, we got to find like the goriest movie ever made now. It wasn't Romero and Tom Savini's effects. It was Peter Jackson's like third film that's like a nonstop gore fest. I mean, if you've had the privilege, you remember the first time I showed oh, yeah. you this movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the custard scene and they're just <laughs> eating the ear or the baby that's birthed out and then just his mother... Her his haggy mother giant with her breasts hanging out at the end. Mm-hmm. This practical like puppet thing they made. If you want a gore film that just doesn't stop, like you got to watch Dead Alive. The yeah. lawnmower sequence. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the part that always sticks out in my mind. Potty's over, and just like <laughs> it's the most. The zombies down. Yeah. Have you seen that one? Mm-hmm. Has it been a while? A long while. Yeah. Excellent. I love you. I love your choices. I want to revisit some of these some of these films actually. We haven't talked about Dead Alive yet on here, have we? It's the first time that's come up. Oh, this is the first time Peter Jackson's come up. There's a lot of films of his we could talk about. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Excellent. Gentlemen, love your choices. Yeah, good job. So many different possible options to pick from. You know, we talked about Rick Baker this this last week, but you know, Dick Smith, Rob Bottin, I think also, the the werewolf transformation in the Howling's pretty good too. It's not Rick Baker good, but it's still pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, you guys, ready? Yes. You ready for some ghost stories? Ready. Well, let's jump right in and get to our happy hour time and a review breakdown of Ghost Story. Long ago, on a cold, dark night, in this peaceful New England village, something happened. Something too terrifying to remember. Something too frightening to forget. Something that has remained a secret until now. Is anyone else seeing things? Am I the only one having nightmares? Universal Pictures presents Fred Astaire, Melvin Douglas, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., John Hausman, Ghost Story, from the terrifying best-selling novel by Peter Straub. Who's in that movie? I've <laughs> heard those guys Have before. Have you heard those names before? <laughs> Excellent. Ghost Story opens up with a montage of sorts of all these classic gentlemen, these classic Hollywood actors freaking out in their sleep. You know, restless nights, uh, having nightmares, you know, being haunted by something as we kind of establish our town before we get right into it and what these men are ultimately involved with. Um, Nate, first time view... May as well have been a first-time view for me because it's probably been about 10 years since Matt actually showed this movie to me. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your initial just impression right off the bat of Ghost Story? Right off the bat, you know, I, I look at this cast of these legendary actors, and I'm like, I grew up watching these guys, watching these classic movies, and I'm like, I could never see them being in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. So first off, that just surprised me, and then you just see them, and this, this could be interesting seeing them act, and, you know, like you guys said, it's their swan song. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Strange about horror mm-hmm. for a fan base that loves that genre and is really, really profitable. Why is it that so many actors either enter or leave Hollywood in horror? Mm-hmm. Isn't that strange? That is strange. Yep. 
I mean, you get, I'm not trying to say there's never been a big star that's cut in a horror film at the height of their power, but I'm mostly saying that. I kind of am saying that. Again, like from Jennifer Aniston and Leprechaun to, (laughs) right? Yeah. Not that that's A-list talent, but you see where I'm going with that. Mm -hmm. To where this finishes, or like even when we did The Omen. What's Gregory Peck doing in that movie? Mm-hmm. I told you, and then in the the sequel to that one, it's William Holden. You know what? Isn't yeah. it? <laughs> it's so weird to me. Yeah, I don't. Is it this? There is a snob factor that comes in with representation and agents that disavows the genre to a point where they won't make it. Cause short of Patrick Wilson, and I guess you could give me Vera Farmiga. Okay. Mm-hmm. I guess sure. it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Could you guys see the, like, I'm just, this is a terrible example, but the rock is very powerful, right? Do we agree? The rock is a big mega star. Okay. Yeah. See the rock cutting a like hard horror film right now. Yeah, probably no. not. He doesn't play just because of his size, but like who else? Um, I'm trying to just think. even like Tom Cruise. Like okay, let's take. Well, he tried. Well, yeah, he did try. <laughs> Which one? But that, in the Mummy. Oh god, well, he tried. But <laughs> yeah, like Tom Cruise. How about Will Smith? Yeah, no. I well, can't. why not? Yeah, no. I think it could. Well, I think it could definitely the work. Closest Will Smith would probably be I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. But Richard Matheson. That yeah, we yeah there yeah came up again this last week on the on the one shot. No, I agree with you, and I kind of wonder if, if it is is it disrespect that yeah like okay Universal's making this movie and we're like okay like we want to throw some talent but like no one wants to be like what if you got these actors because no one's hiring them but they do have a certain set of prestige about them they do bring some credibility to this film with that is other other than Craig Wasson and Alice Kurtz, who I associate Craig Wasson with one other film. Body Heat. Uh, and, and Dream Warriors. Oh, yeah. I don't know anyone else in this movie, so I kind of gravitate towards these guys as right. my my point of focus. I, I think it's a genius marketing ploy or ca- casting. I don't know what it is in this movie. This is a best-selling novel. Decent budget. We talked about it, $13 million. The director, I wouldn't say, was the most capable at the time. It's not a great filmography. I think there's Raw Deal is in there and uh, Hamburger Hill, some other stuff. Not quite B-list, but definitely not A-list. I just And they certainly needed to be older gentlemen to fit the role, so this is maybe not the best example to use in this. But nonetheless, it doesn't change what we keep coming to, and that's maybe short of Anthony Hopkins... And this is kind of what sent him to, I think, the position that elevated his career in Silence of the Lambs. I'm struggling to find, at the top of their game, A-list talent in big movie. That's And I, look, I'm sure there's probably one or two out there, maybe a few more. But the point doesn't change. There's just It just doesn't happen, and I don't understand it. Would you guys consider maybe Tony Collette in Hereditary kind of being that? No. No? Yeah. Interesting. That's, I, Tony Collette's a great actress, yeah. me, but I don't think anyone's like, hey, we got Tony Collette for this movie and let's market <laughs> it that way. But she, I mean, super, and Gabriel Byrne for that matter, too, really talented actor, actress. That's weird. Yeah, that know. is. Yeah, that is a perplexing question. So these guys, they run um, a little secret society. This, we should run the society when we get older, gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> That'd be fun. We just like sit around, we'll drink bourbon. Oh, they're drinking brandy, but they like, well, they're, they're elite. 
They're, they're, <laughs> I've never had brandy. They're an old guard. Yeah. You know, that's that's what gentlemen did. Yeah. <laughs> Fireside brandy ghost story hour. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. Yep. Bring your best story and like John Hausman spinning this tale and like <laughs> Douglas Fairbanks Jr. looks like he's going to have a heart attack mm-hmm. listening to this thing. And it's kind of creepy. The visual of that guy clawing in the grave, yeah. like through the casket like that. that that's that's pretty good. But you can kind of tell by the way the opening scene sets up and then these guys that they're kind of harbinging some type of thing. I mean, Fred Astaire is like got like the night sweats every night. Um, what do you think of this kind of premise to kind of to set up the film as? It was really interesting. Yeah. You know, the, these guys that get around and tell ghost stories, and but they're, they get really freaked out by them too. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that they're having these night terrors, I would even say, instead of just nightmares, that they're just really freaking out. Mm-hmm. I think this movie does a good job as much as it might be horror with domestic issues, mm-hmm. family related. You get the idea because they're so old that they've been having these meetings for a long time. And I think what that weaves is a feeling for us initially that this is a tight knit friendly group that is beholden to each other through friendship. That's not, in fact, actually the case. Mm-hmm. You might argue they really don't like each other, and it's just become almost necessary for them to see each other so that they can keep this terrible secret that they have. And I almost wonder if this ghost story process that they've created that I guess happens once a month. Is therapy for them? Yep. Yeah. That's, type, a, that's a type, an interesting uh, premise to think of. A type of, what do they call that, like aversion there? Or like, that's not the right word, is it? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you, like where you face your fears, like head on. Like, if I'm afraid of spiders, right? They're gonna stick you in a room with a box full of spiders. <laughs> Jesus, that's terrifying. <laughs> hell, that's not gonna fix it. He'll just die. Yeah, I would have a heart attack. <laughs> hell, hell no. Hell no. You're a terrible therapist. No one go to Nate for, ter- for therapy ever. But I think I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, let's. We have this horrible secret that we're uh, hiding right now, and let's kind of bury that deep down by telling equally horrific tales right. to kind of get our minds off or just bury it back deep in the subconscious. I dig it. I dig it as a premise for, for a movie. Isn't the uncanny really important in horror? Mm-hmm. And that's what we're watching happen on screen, mm-hmm. Bring, digging up what's been repressed and shining a light on it with Spe- brandy. <laughs> Where's Hitchcock? I mean, Hitchcock was always about every Hitchcock character's drinking brandy. For sure. Speaking of uncanny, let's get to the scene of the film here where our our boy Craig Wasson is walking in on um, the succubus of the film that, that we'll get into for sure. But it, it, it's almost a laughable moment in the film just because we're getting a lot. Like it's like this like jump scare, Dick Smith makeup illusion as he falls out the window with this kind of green screen. And then, like like I said, like the towel couldn't save him. The towel flies off. We get some full frontal male nudity. I mean, we're talking off mic. Like, this is rare for 81. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure why that chose to go that way. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to complain about it because it's really ridiculous for us to com- say anything negative about male n- full frontal because what's-her-name-is-Nate-Krieger, Alice Kriege, naked the whole movie. Naked the whole film. Yeah. So I guess it's just fair. But... Um, man, if that towel could just be wrapped a little tighter, it wouldn't be such a bad thing. <laughs> well, then my, my, my brain goes to, and I'm like, man, maybe I'm th- just spending too much time thinking about this. So to do like a green screen effect like that, they got to like put Craig Watson in like the, a rig where he's looks like he's falling. So I'm like, they just got him like naked there, like dangling in the air for like two hours. <laughs> like, yeah, we don't need to talk about that anymore. <laughs> it's, it is weird though. Mm-hmm. 
it, it makes sense that it's postcoital. I think what happens though, unfortunately, is the impact of the water overflowing the the bathtub almost is forgotten or uh, enveloped with the shock of Wasson's nakedness. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I have to say in this moment is, and I don't know why they didn't, he needs to not fall on the deck of the pool or if he falls on the deck of the pool, he needs to finish up in the pool, bounce from the deck into the water of the mm-hmm. pool. And that's going to play it later because water is a huge element to yeah. the haunting in this film. Mm-hmm. It's right there. Yeah. Do you guys see it? You, you would bounce. Like, have you ever seen oh, yeah. the stories of people that jump off the Golden Gate Bridge? Mm-hmm. They hit the water and bounce, and the second impact is what does them in. Your body can't displace enough volume, so you're, something gives, and it's your body because it's a mm-hmm. more um, rubbery like substance that will transfer that energy. So it bounces. That's it, a, a bit of a miss. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm being nitpicky here, but not because I just want to be nitpicky. If there's water, then use water. Yeah, Sorry, I, yeah. hadn't, I hadn't thought about that until now. He probably, yeah, should have landed right in yeah. the water of the yeah. pool. And if he fell far enough through the glass, maybe just in the pool would be enough anyway. Because mm-hmm. then maybe, maybe he struggles and drowns, and that maybe fits the film also a little well, bit better. Going that fast, he'd probably hit the bottom of the pool fast enough that it'd do the same exact impact and he probably would drown because he might still have enough enough leeway to still be alive sure can we talk about something in this moment too okay. i actually do think this is a big part in the film mm-hmm. why do or why does Irvin, the director john Irvin, choose to go that route with wasson like why do we get that from him is it because we want to see how amorous this woman is and this the effect that she has on these men regarding seduction. Why? Like, why do we do this? Is it the shock value of it all? It might be. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. So, right, yeah. we're all in the same spot here. No. <laughs> we're talking about it. Yeah. So, I think it's effective on some level, at least for the conversation. Ah. <sighs> Well, it sticks with you, that's for sure. For sure. I mean, the first time Matt showed this to me, we were watching it for research. <laughs> I like that. That is actually true. <laughs> research for writing a ghost story of our own. And when he showed it, it's just like, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere, and you're like, oh, wow, oh, wow, that wow, that escalated, like, considerably. Sure. And I think if we're talking about it, like, there's something there. But you're right. You're like uh, the the overflowing bathtub is something you almost kind of forget about. Mm-hmm. This kind of overflowing of water, being submerged in water, um, by the rest of the the weirdness of the scene. But it gets the plot going in motion. This is an inciting incident of sorts for the film. It gets the brother, twin brother, Craig Watson's pulling double duty in this film to to go back home, re- reacquaint with dad, go for the funeral, and then he kind of gets wrapped up into this whole chowder society thing, but. Poor Douglas Fairbanks, he's he's going to kind of meet his demise coming up next. Walking around in the snow, uh, looking uh, at the visage of of his son. Um, what did you guys think of this, this sequence coming up? Because kind of the way it's played out, and I'll mention something that doesn't quite work for me, uh, but him on the bridge there, and then as the camera kind of pans, and then you see this like, um, but why don't we listen to it? Man. 
hardcore snowplow guy. couple things so nate i want to hear from you first uh just overall impact of this sequence like what did you what did you think of this i mean we're, we're getting rid of one of the main characters like right away like op- like opening like 15 minutes right mm-hmm. you know i thought it was really well done um because you just see this guy who just lost his son and you know he's distraught and you know he he sees his visage and he's following him to the bridge and you know i'm thinking i'm like what's gonna happen here mm-hmm. you know then Remember the title of the movie, Ghost Story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, what about the, um, we don't know her name at this point, but just in her funeral attire off to the side with like this hazy glow to her as she like cackles, like that's enough to send me running for the hills. Like I, I hate the unnatural in horror and this guy, this snowplow guy that runs into that. Yeah, I don't know how he's not just shaking in his boots. Uh, I assume that he's able to see her. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's three movies that it reminds me of that Mm -hmm. are all great films. Mm -hmm. The Barbara Hershey character in The Natural is really important as she shoots Robert Redford's Roy Hobbs when she picks or drops her veil on the train. Mm -hmm. That's this Eva or Alma character, whatever iteration of her Mm -hmm. we're talking about. It certainly is similar to It's a Wonderful Life. Right, the way he jumps off or falls off, Clarence. <laughs> right, yep. Those two for sure. And then I the was other... thinking it's what this place looks like Bedford Falls. Yeah, this town. And then the other one, the spectral image donned in black, hazily shot, is very reminiscent of The Innocents to me. Mm. I like all three of those films. Yeah. So I think this works really, really well, and it certainly sets a standard that I think the movie holds up to going forward. And that's these men that this entity is after are not only going to die, but they are going to die horrifically. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's the other thing though, too. He falls into a frozen version of water. So there are acknowledging the importance that water's going to play in her revenge. plot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's handled effectively. Very well done. Um, The other thing too quickly Whoever's the stuntman, because they're not going to have Douglas Fairbanks <laughs> yeah, Douglas really take a header <laughs> yeah. off the bridge. Douglas right? Fairbanks did a triple indie off the bridge. Man, his head hits the side of the bridge initially when he falls. Did you guys see that? Mm-hmm. So that's also similar to what happens to sure. Alma early, yeah. later in the film. Yeah. So we're drawing a nice connection to what will be revealed going forward later on subtly. And I think that's well done. Like the effect of having the stuntman hit their head on the bridge as Mm -hmm. they fall in that is paying particular attention which is weird because if you pay particular attention to that why are you not paying particular attention to falling into the swimming pool not the deck of the swimming pool it's uneven yeah and i'm dying to go ahead um yeah this would almost be like a perfect scene for me but there's one thing that kills it for me here we go and it's the music i've been waiting to hear what you want to say about this uh it's too too much it's too much xylophone ding, 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 ding. and then and then it's like in your face like uh, like i think they could have evoked a like a, a lot more tone and and um 
and suspense with like maybe just like more low drones or just like like a string score but there's like a lot of like clarinet and trumpet which i don't like associate as like a scary instrument but what do you, what you've do never you, heard me play the clarinet <laughs> the recorder may be terrifying in elementary school <laughs> yeah. uh, nate you sarah uh, share a similar music space as me and, and an affinity for soundtracks what do you think of this score i i agree with you there's aspects of it i like yes you know like the, the main theme like mm-hmm. over the credits and everything i thought that was really good but you're right there's the parts that like where it's supposed to be scary mm-hmm. it's a little too much yeah can you do the sound for a minute again that you did before the flight that's from this movie that is an example of what you're talking about? You mind doing that again? See, I think that works right there. Yeah, that's I like good. that. That's working. There you go. And I'm out. It's gone. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> it's turning it in from hard horror to goosebumps. Yes, <laughs> and that sounds more like trailer music to me. There you go. Mm-hmm. So yes, and so yeah, that becomes a bit of an issue because the score is very present throughout this entire film. So whenever it goes, ding, 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 it kind of it kind of kills <laughs> whatever suspense is building. But those moments of her just off in the distance cackling like that that does it for me. I just wish I was getting more of the full package, but it's still an effective scene. Like that's it's well done. Douglas Fairbanks out. Okay, so now we're kind of getting into it. I want to know your guys' opinion on this part of the story because I watched this yesterday to kind of just get, I haven't seen it. This is my second, third viewing of this film. Um, it's not like I'm watching Alien over here. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think of these kind of conduits of evil that have taken residence in Alice Eva's house? This feral child and cross-dressing... Um, uh, Fugitive of the law? Meth head. Yeah. He's he's like escaped from like a mental facility? Yes. With open wounds on him because I guess he's been digging at himself while he's been hanging out with Heisenberg. Does this... <laughs> do these two characters work for you guys? No. Why do we need them? Yeah. Right. That I'll, I'll say that the kid is creepy as shit. Creepy kids work in horror. They do. Mm-hmm. But the guy, the guy doesn't really do anything for me. Mm-hmm. So it is adapted from a novel, and I've never read that, or, or novella. I'm not sure the length. So maybe they're in the book, and so they wanted to keep some premise of the book. But you would think that the grown man in the boy would add an element to the haunting that Eva or Alma, whatever we're calling her, isn't able to do herself. Truthfully, she's able to do everything that they do herself anyway. Right. So, do they do they come back enough for you guys to like warrant like a presence in this film? Because they're kind of here in the beginning and then not until the end. Well, they, there's that one scene where he shows up in uh, Douglas Fairbanks' house. Mm-hmm. And that part got me a little because he's coming down the elevator. Oh yeah, that's that was that was eerie. And he starts you know talking about like the Bible and all that. That was a little eerie. Mm-hmm. But but even then, the rest of the movie that just doesn't make sense to me yeah maybe if they had a presence in the 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 story sequences we're gonna get here but they're they're kind of thrown in there and then like brought out again in the final curtain call i specifically wanted to know from you because you're all about setups and payoffs and were these guys set up enough to like pay off to in the conclusion no i think the big like the grown-up is supposed to be a an element of like the muscle 
she doesn't need that. We're taking on 80-year-old men. Those are not formidable physical opponents. So why do you need that? We don't need a speed element because, again, for the same reason I just said, these old men are not fast. We don't need an intellectual element because that guy doesn't provide it either way. <laughs> a creepy kid is always a nice trick in horror because we like that. Basically, that has to do with the bastardization of things that are supposed to be pure. There's a natural element of horror built in there. Mm-hmm. Short of the kid being dressed in, I think, what's her nightgown and her boots and spitting up her necklace, there's no reason for him to show up because they can do that just by going into that house. And here's the other thing, too. There's not a direct tie to her at that house and the importance of that house yet anyway. We get there later, maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe. It makes no sense. I almost wonder, again, I haven't read the book. But I wonder if those are two elements from another story that might be one of several that are written by the guy that are worth it, it. It doesn't fit at all. I, it doesn't fit. Another question for you guys. Do you feel like this movie's maybe 10 to 15 minutes a little too long? Yes. Yes. You could probably <laughs> like I'm just thinking of these elements that these were removed and we kind of get right into what we're going to play next. I think it'd probably be paced a little more uh, efficiently too. Well, let me ask, since you brought it up, let me ask you one. Okay. I think that- (laughs) Let me ask you this question, this one. Yeah. (laughs) Why is Gamora? (laughs) That's right. How are we going to get Gamora back in Guardians 3, Jesse? Go, no. (laughs) Um, I think we're all in agreement that maybe the movie's a little bit too long. Mm -hmm. If we're going to spend the 15 minutes that we've agreed is too long in this film, is there a way, Jesse, for you to sour mash this man and this little boy out to make them better? Yes, I definitely want to see them in the story Craig Wasson's going to tell, doing something. Sure. And, right. And then, obviously, there, there are some conduits of evil. And then I want to talk about Alma and like where she kind of fits in on this spectrum too later in the 1920s sequence. But... I kind of want to see them in that sequence too, as like these visages, these ghosts. Yes. See that when I first saw them on screen, I thought, are these guys ghosts also mm. like part of it? But then that never fleshed out. I was expecting to see them in the 1920s part, but it didn't happen. Yeah. Did you guys draw the same corollary that I did too? If this woman is as sexually liberated as she is as a human before she's turned into succubus, mm-hmm. doesn't it make sense for that little boy to be hers? Yeah. That, on some level that could have been douglas fairbanks's yeah son that's where i thought this should have been going and the third craig watson in this movie yeah <laughs> and we're going to get to i think the implications of what happens later and the four guys and her and i think what they're trying to get to without having the guts to do it even though they have the guts to do full frontal <laughs> in 1980 mm-hmm the kid doesn't make sense, and that guy doesn't make sense if they don't have a tie to Alma, and all she gives them is the promise of eternal life. The kid's like nine. Right. Mm-hmm. What kid at nine is like, wow, I'd like to live. For, you are going to live forever at nine. Mm-hmm. You don't even understand mortality. Yeah. That's very poorly done. And I, I, you're right, though. Mm-hmm. I like what you came okay. with on that. This uh Film is all about telling stories, ghost stories, spooky tales, um, and we're going to kind of get into our first one here from our uh, one of our characters, Craig Wasson, here. Do you have something to say to us? I want to buy my way into the chapter system. Buy? What did you say? With a story, isn't that the price of admission? I'm sorry, Mr. Hoffman. Ricky. But it's worse than you know. 
At least two people have already died. My brother was the first. I think this is a ghost story. Oh, get that clarinet out of here. Um, so through the investigation of this house, uh, Craig Wasson finds this necklace and he's like, oh shit, like I've experienced this woman before. And then he finds a photo in an old, che- uh, old, um, just chest saying like, oh, I think this something's afoot here that ties to my dad and his buddies, but someone I may have encountered and he spins it in this tail and it's his teaching gig where he meets this receptionist named Alma and it's all about their torrid love affair. Is this how the movie should start instead of in a flashback, just their torrid love affair starting? Isn't this the launching point of this film? Mm. I I have to disagree with you on that. I I actually like how this movie is set up. I like the telling of the stories back and forth because it it speaks to this gentleman's club as the chowder society Mm. telling the stories. Mm Mm-hmm. It is very storytelling in its uh, plot mechanisms, for sure. The, the the use of flashbacks and and all of that. Um, no, yeah, I, I I find this sequence particularly interesting, mainly because as a as a as a, as a gentleman myself, I find a lot of red flags with Alma right <laughs> off the bat. She keeps going on, droning on about I'm a, I'm an old fashioned woman from the 1920s, and then she's showing him like the monkey's paw and the Kama Sutra, like two scenes later. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, but like you said it pretty good, and we were all kind of talking off mic while watching it. Like just the stares alone, and just kind of the look she has on her face. I told you it was the eyebrows that were like kind of freaking me out a little bit. But there's already something unnatural about her, and maybe it's the accent too. I don't know. Yeah. She's got that British accent, you know, she's got this deep voice that you just don't expect. And it's just this death stare. You know who she reminded me of actually was um, Kim Novak in Vertigo. It's funny you said that because the necklace made me think of Vertigo a lot too. That green necklace versus the red necklace of Carlotta Valdez Mm -hmm. in the portrait. I thought the same thing as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I have a theory I want to pose. Okay. When we see Craig Wasson at this storytelling element and his history with Alma, we get introduced to his first girlfriend, who is, I guess, a neighbor professor at the university. And she's kind of mousy and about his speed. Craig Wasson is not some dashing Adonis. He's just kind of a dork. (laughs) But his eyes are in the right place and he's got his teeth there and he's not hideous. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a, that's about his speed. <laughs> I could see him with her. Yeah. Alma is way out of his league. Yeah. I think that plays really well with the succubus like nature of her using her feminine powers to seduce these men into their own demise. And in fact, in this case, using her feminine powers to seduce him or her back into his family lineage. Yeah. All that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Where it starts to get murky is when they break up and we find out that she goes for the A plus version of Craig Wasson, his brother. Mm -hmm. I understand the reason why. And I understand that this is adapted from a novel, a better play. Because we don't need his 
we don't need his brother if he does take her home to meet the fam and that's where things go south. Yeah. Now we tie in whatever's up with that strange house that's just left abandoned in this very suburbia, <laughs> upper middle class. Vermont town. It's just this blister of <laughs> depravity. <laughs> if he brings her home to meet them, and now all of a sudden the old men are like, oh my gosh, look who it is. Wait, what's going on? All the, there's way, a lot more conflict. I think, again, adapted from a book, so I know. But that doesn't give it the right not to be a good story unto itself. And although I also like the story, because that's what this movie's about, look at the title of the film. There's a storytelling element to this. And it is sort of, you know, the I always think back to my elementary school librarian, Mrs. Raybold, and my favorite time of the year. We've talked about her a lot because that was both of our introduction into some of that early universal classic horror with the books. Nate? Both of you guys went to the same elementary school. Was she there when you were there? No. Okay. She wasn't. <laughs> I'm old. She was old then too, so God rest Miss Raybould. But I used to love Halloween because she would sit around, we'd sit there in the library, and she would read us these tales that were fucking frightening. Mm-hmm. Like she'd find seaside horror tales for children and it was like <laughs> scary <laughs> and i remember all of us sitting there like give us another one scared to death oh wow god that's awesome mm-hmm. yeah so i like a good ghost story and that's what the movie's trying to do and his introduction into the chair all that all that makes sense i just think it could be done in a way where some of the questions that we are identifying as to why this plays the role in the film that isn't paid off could be sort of tied up a little more neatly and so my theory on this is Craig Wasson is shown in the way he is to make her seem all the more demonic and powerful. I'm just not sure that is, back to what you said, Jesse, mm-hmm. paid off at a completely acceptable level for me story-wise. I, I, I'm left with no questions at the end of the film. It's the story's done. I just think there's a couple of glaring omissions that we've already identified at this point at what part are you heading for the hills <laughs> with alma oh man yeah I, you know it's hard to say yeah. you know because the guy's like falling in love in the first night right yeah. you know your heart and she's super hot for him yeah. she is like many a man have gone down with terrible chick because she's drop dead gorgeous <laughs> like all of her problems are undone by what she's able to do in, in the bed and i mean that not even metaphorically, right? He's that. That's so. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, no, you're, you're fine. Keep fine. going. When are you running, <laughs> or are you running? Be honest. The guy that I am, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Okay. <laughs> you know, I I'd probably stick around for a while. Yeah. You know, because she's this gorgeous woman who is out of my league. You know, but, dude, I'm I'm running. She's sitting there with the, her music box in the, front of that the music box. Is creepy. The space heater. When he takes her to the beach. Mm-hmm. She's like already freaking out about the water that night where she's staring at him and she says water. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd run. Right there. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> I'd be like, what? <laughs> I have to say one thing. Go ahead. That part when they're in the bathtub and he starts kicking her boob playing with her boob with his foot is so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they redeem on purpose. They redeem it as in a, like the, uh, the very next second as she submerges in the water and like comes out like screaming. Isn't that weird? I'm almost, I, that was really off putting. I'd forgotten all about that part. Mm-hmm. 
So they're sitting there in the bathtub and, you know, you're probably going to get a little bit of skin here and there because that's how those bathtub things do. Mm -hmm. And they're having some semi-important conversation. But you're really distracted because he starts flicking at her nipple with his left foot. Mm -hmm. What a dork. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, not a Lothario. And as off-putting as that is, and I think it's done on purpose to show Craig Wasson is way out of his league in this film. Mm Mm-hmm. Then he pulls her under in a playful kind of way with her hair just floating above the water still, which is also creepy. And then she comes back out full scream. I think I'm with you, Jesse. I know, Nate, you wear your heart on your sleeve. God bless you for that. I think I'm probably running too. Because as much as she was like, hey, I got this really cool chick. She lets me flick her nipple with my, or whatever (laughs) he's making his piece with. That's scary. Yeah, it's a little off-putting. Uh, <laughs> so the whole moral of the, his story right now is to explain, look, I ran into this girl. We fell in love, but she was strange. She really wanted, I said, let's get married. She wanted to have it in Milbourne, where Vermont, where we're from. She wants to get close to these men again. And, and she want to show me off to your family. Yeah. yeah. And this is the way to do it. And he says, eh, I don't know. After all this strange behavior, I don't really want to get married. <laughs> <laughs> well, it. Big red flag. Yeah. She wants to know everything about him. Mm-hmm. I won't tell him anything about her. Oh, yep. That She's an old-fashioned first... girl, Nate. They that, don't do that's that. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> they only do the wheelbarrow in, in bed over there. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> last tango in Paris, old-fashioned kind of girl, right? It kind of was last tango in Paris, that scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's like a wheelbarrow. Huge, huge red flag. I mean, yeah, she's just like... Tell me all about you and your family and where you're from and and about that. And he's like, and so he comes in. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Do you know what movie that she's like most famous for? No. Star Trek First Contact. She plays the Borg Queen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got major Borg Queen vibes right there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's okay. I, I'm seeing it now. But he's like, like he's had his fill at this point. He's like, I'm out of here. So then we kind of cut away. And then his brother's like, hey, you're never going to believe it, but I ran into this girl. She says she knows you, and you're wrong about her. And then, obviously, he's wrong about her because we know what happens to him as he flies out the window. Um, But this chick is bad news, and he's just trying to tell the Chowder Society about it. And John Houseman, this cantankerous old bastard, is just like, I'm not having any of it, and this and that. And Fred Astaire is really the only one that's like, okay, let me kind of let's look into this a little bit. He's the good guy. Yeah, he is kind of the good guy. Yeah, he's yeah, he's I guess maybe the most consciously. Yeah, he's got he's got the most morals. There out you of go. All of them. But up next uh, is a little sequence that kind of works for me too uh, with um, Douglas Melvin Douglas Melvin Douglas. I couldn't remember his first name. <laughs> Douglas Fairbanks or Melvin Douglas? Pick your Douglas, mm-hmm. um, Michael Douglas. Um, <laughs> as he's in bed and he's got got some heart issues and he's this old doctor. That sequence when his wife, who I thought was B. Arthur, going upstairs, yeah. uh, and she's and then she looks into the living room and there's um, Alma there, and she's like, "Oh, uh, would you mind waiting a couple seconds?" Like, man, that gave me the heebie-jeebie. Yeah. It's something about the black veil, like, uh-huh. is really working for me in this film. Right, the succubus, the wraith of sorts. That's with, with the red hair. It just it fits really well. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. So then, yeah, we get a demise of another one of our characters. I think I'll take the butt out of you.
What's interesting about these sequences, both the first two death scenes, is she's not committing murder. She's literally scaring these men to death. Yeah. She's frightening them so much where they react or he throws himself over the bridge or literally giving this man a heart attack. Um, I think that's pretty interesting, too. Like, it's not like this, like, vicious, violent ghost. It's all done unintentionally, which is, I think, pretty good. I don't know what it is about that particular moment, but that is terrifying, whether it's Stanwick and Double Indemnity in the Black Veil or Barbara Hershey in the Natural or to an extent Novak and Vertigo or the aforementioned images from The Innocents. This woman donned in black as the veil is pulled over her her face or hidden under the veil prior to seeing her do that. There's just something that's very eerie about that for me. Um, I don't know if it's I see women as the bringers of life and peace into the world, and that is not <laughs> either of those things. And so it plays in that space that sort of the screwed up child does. There's terror there. But yeah, Jesse, when we go downstairs and she's waiting in the the foyer, essentially, of that house, just kind of pacing about, it's really hard to look at. And if she's attractive... That's even more troubling. Strangely enough, I think those end up being the scarier moments in this movie for me. Mm-hmm. Is her as human, not a decrepit, broken, decomposing form, but as human well, that, that, that spectral works, that form. That works for me too. Scary. Yeah. I think the makeup, the makeup effects are work for me in this. Any kind of corpse face we get or rotting corpse scene um, plays pretty well. Yes. All right. So I think the jig is up. <laughs> The jib jab <laughs> is up and uh, it's time for Fred Astaire and John Hausman, the lone survivors of the Chowder Society, to confess their sins. Now, we kind of all suspected this from the opening scene that something's bothering these men. This is very, I know what you did last summer, harbinging a secret. I thought I was thinking about deliverance a lot while watching this movie. Hmm. Like we killed this person and we got to hide it. Mm-hmm. So they sit Craig Wasson down and now it's time to tell them the tale of Eva and what they did and why they're so messed up all these years. What do you guys think of the 1920s story? Go ahead, Nate. You know, I, because it shows their age and they grew up in the roaring 20s. You know, there's these guys that live in this small town, yet they have the most money. <clears throat> they're able to do whatever they want. You know, and it opens up with that scene they're sitting in with the concert, <clears throat> the violins. That's what people did back then, at least the, the rich people did. Mm-hmm. They would throw concerts on a Sunday afternoon. Or Snoozeville, right? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, I'd be down for that. Would you really? Yeah, I, I probably would. Not me. <laughs> Nate and I have had this discussion at length. Like we 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 should have been born in like the 1920s. Yeah, we're men at a time. <laughs> we are. Great Gatsby and his sidekick here for me. <laughs> Gatsby and, and Nick Carroll. Yes, exactly. Mm, awesome. We are. <laughs> All right. I'll take that over Jack Kerouac, so at least you guys are on the right path. <laughs> on the road again. But sitting in that room is mm-hmm. this new person to town, Ava, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody's just entranced by her. Everybody's talking about her, but nobody knows anything about her. Yeah, a bunch of terrible people in there. The music stops, and everyone in the room is just talking shit about her. Huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> she makes Ava. all this money. Look at her. Oh, just... <laughs> What um at this point in the film though, like when she's introduced, do you suspect any type of supernatural elements with her? 
Or is it all a result of what we're about to see coming up here? I think it's all a result of the of, of what they do. The sins of the past. Yes. Uh Matt, what do you think about this sequence? Can I before you go, can I just share what I think? Of course. I think it's another 10, 15 minutes too long. I, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. Like I like seeing them court her and take her. And I don't know. I thought those sequences of them kind of parading in the the prairie fields were kind of strange. I was like, man, that like these guys are like sixth wheeling like their buddy here right. for their picnic dates and their robo. Like they're, they're having a robo date and, and young Fred Astaire is like reading poetry in the back. I'm like, this is a strange dynamic for these buddies, but are they that stricken with her visage? Well, here's my, yeah, right. I, I agree with all that. I think they're all competing for her affections. Yes. The other thing that I kept thinking about is even though they're competing for her affections, I think they're also competing for each other's admirations. And by that, I don't mean like I got her. So you all are lesser men than me, but bromance is a gentle way to put what this is. And as Sears James, who is the leader of this group kind of gets revealed at a younger state, we have identified the bad guy of the group. He's pushy. He's bullyish. He's abusive and physically maybe not so much but mentally and he is clearly the alpha and exercising that power among them a lot which then goes back to another scene that you played the sound from <clears throat> craig Watson comes in and wants to be part of the chatter society mm -hmm. john houseman meets that request with buy your way in i don't know if that's what he would actually say mm -hmm. i think he would probably try to deny it as they've been in denial about her, yeah, he wouldn't be so quick to take issue with the the commerce of it. He'd take issue with the acknowledgement of it. Sure. So these four guys are all competing for this girl, and to the 15 minutes too long, if we're going to do it, at least let's spend some time watching each one of them try to roll on her. I agree with that, yeah. Here's the way I'm going to try. It doesn't work. Here's the way I'm going to try it. And then it works with Ed. Is that the, is his name? Ed, the Ned. 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 Sorry, Ned. Well, I had a hard time telling them apart. Me too. A, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Ned gets her, kind of. Kind of. And mm -hmm. then can't seal the deal. Right. Now we're to something that's kind of a big moment, though. Mm -hmm. They're in bed, and Ned is suffering from lack of performance. He's a little flaccid. <laughs> So what's the solution? <laughs> History buddies show outside the window and serenade them both. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's not going to work. That's strange. <laughs> so we're playing with, I think, some, <laughs> honestly, we're playing with some homoerotic themes here, I think. And um, I, that part's actually kind of working for me. Okay. It's creating conflict among them. This, this relationship that seems the chowder society that's just let's sit around and tell some good old ghost stories and have a good time. Mm-hmm is far more, I wouldn't say nefarious, but maybe debaucherous than you would see upon initial um, exploration. And then add one more piece to it, going forward a little bit. These guys all know each other really well, and Fred Astaire has been married to the same woman for 50 years, and he still has never told her his story. Mm -hmm. So he's given everything he has to this group of men that hold this terrible secret and he hasn't to his wife. I think that's just more evidence of how strange that quadrant, that quartet 
of the Chowder Society is. You guys getting like a bit of a film noir femme fatale vibe with Eva Alma, yep. the character, the way she's kind of luring these men into bad things. You brought it up. Does she have the look for you? I mean, sure. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. She's the closest the, to Stanwick. Yeah, the Borg. Yeah, <laughs> the Borg Queen. Yeah, absolutely. The Borg Queen is working for me. <laughs> uh, but let's let's get to the moment, the big moment of the film. Dance with me, you little toad. Slut. Poor Did you tell them all about it? Did you? You're pathetic. Shall I tell you the truth? No! <laughs> she hits that piece of marble pretty hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, yeah, one of those, they're all, they're pissed drunk. All they, they drove drunk to her house. And they're just like, all this brandy that they're taking down. So they're acting buffoons. They're acting foolish. Uh, young John Hausman's like being like, yeah, like, come dance with me, you little toad. <laughs> and it just, the tempers rise, they flare, and young um, Douglas Fairbanks makes a critical error here in this moment. I think the scene's loaded. Yeah. Yeah. There was no way the actions were stopping at dancing in that scene. No. You get major kind of rapey vibes in that. Mm. We're talking about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Gangbang shit. Yeah. And whether that's by her agreement or not, that's going to happen. Yes. And on top of it, Ned is the one that I think she likes. Well, not think. She likes Ned the most. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he's the one that wasn't able to seal the deal with this girl earlier on when they serenade him out the window and, you know, then um, Ricky, the Fred Astaire character, gets to drive her home. Back to what I said earlier, is it getting her or is it proving your worthiness in the group to Sears? Because if she gives this terrible secret, again, back to another secret, that... Your boy over here couldn't fuck me because he couldn't get it up Mm -hmm. or whatever she would say. I mean, she's an old fashioned girl, so she might say make love or something. I don't know. Old fashioned wheelbarrow, old fashioned, huh, Jesse? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The impact of not being able to consummate the relationship with the girl you're into is secondary to not being seen as an equal member in this ridiculous quartet that's filled with essentially one bully and two major dorks. Ricky, you love this. Yeah. Ricky and what are totally impish little clowns. Yeah, they are. No woman in the world would have that. Like, what are we measuring? Yeah, they're like laughing, like drunken laughing fits. Yeah. And Ned can't say, guys, we're not going to go over to my sort of girlfriend's house with all four of you drunk or all four of us drunk when you three really want. Like, what? Yeah, that's a bad <laughs> decision. Idiot. What do you think of this moment, Nate? You know, it, it it's a little cringy yeah. for me. You mm-hmm. know, it's just kind of like, it makes you feel really uncomfortable. Because mm-hmm. you, you get those gangbang vibes and you're like, eee. Yeah. You know, but the the fact, you, you see these two characters, the alpha male, and then you got Ned who's 
like competing for him mm-hmm. in that spot. And you see that conflict come to a head, but he takes it out on the wrong person. I like what you said there. And another thing that would have just sold that concept for me more is when they're older, if we're still seeing those same. Yes. Uh, that same conflict. That same conflict, like old Douglas Fairbanks and John Hausman still kind of competing for alpha male supremacy. And I don't get that. Douglas Fairbanks wants to tell the story and John Houseman says, no, I have a better one and puts him on the back burner. Yeah. Right. Any no- Again, setups and payoffs mm-hmm. really easy to do. You're right. So they're going to fall to, and I, I tried to think back. So this is 1981 and after this for sure. But other than like deliverance, I hadn't quite, I couldn't quite come to, or uh, God, God, uh, Montgomery Clift, uh, Place in the Place Sun. In the sun. Uh, the films that were like, oh, we did something bad with the body. Now we got to hide it. Like, this is still a pretty, like, fresh concept around this time. And then it's just abused by now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we get this moment here. Oh, she moved. Oh, my God. She's dead. I tell you, she's dead. How freaked out would both of you be if, like, okay, you already have to have the moral code that you're going to go along with, like, pushing this car into the thing with her body. <laughs> but then through the back rear side a window, you see her gasping for help. Like, are, are you guys flipping out? Like, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm jumping in that water like, to like, do something. Yeah. I think this is a space that the movie succeeds in, and that's building the horror through domestic conflict. Mm-hmm. It's playing out more like that's more a drama trope than a horror trope. Now it's horrifying what they've just done, but not in a supernatural or beyond the grave way, in a domestic way, like a, a human, almost maybe thriller, soured romance way, because that's what this is. But yeah, it's really well done when she suddenly comes to, because I guess the cold water has snapped her out of whatever comatic or semi-conscious state she was in. And they just have to watch her go down. It's really, really well done. No, it's a scene that and uncomfortable. And a scene, a scene for where some of the sequences aren't entirely working for me. This one, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with like the reaction, and they're all reacting in different ways. I mean, like, oh my god, like she's still like, no, she's dead. I checked her pulse, Mister Doctor, Mister Melvin Douglas, yes. um, which haunts him. He has that nightmare. That's all he's on the table. Yeah. Oh, oh, that, that that was a good sequence too. Like that little jump when she reveals, and then he's choking B. Yeah. Arthur. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's the, 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 the you see the the film is interesting because there's peppered with moments that do work for me, and then I think there's just there's just too uh, too much excess yeah. for me at least. But this is working. Sure. So yeah, let's yeah, get let's get yeah. yeah let's get to the final sequence final act of the film so we got craig Watson on board we bared our sins to him so that must feel good for fred astaire i mean john houseman's still like oh, god damn it he's still all pissed off driving his rolls royce um they're gonna go to the house they're gonna try and like confront her yeah what are they doing at the end like what's their plan i i don't like to try to just stop whatever it is. To- so that's a little murky for me. And then the plan kind of goes haywire because then Craig Wasson falls through the stairwell and like breaks his leg. So he's kind of comatose the rest of the movie. But the succubus, the entity is still on the prowl for Hausman and Fred Astaire. Enter, and you said, Matt, like I've always really liked this sequence. So we get John Hausman driving down the road. 
And this visage of Eva appears that, like, goes into the car with him, like, through him. In green. Yeah. And you get the, the skull. Yeah, that was good. Laid over her face. That was pretty good. Yeah. That's the least horrific of the three versions we've seen of her. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what they're going for in that. Another, maybe they just thought that was a good look. Mm-hmm. There may not be anything more to it than that. Mm-hmm. The choice of green as the color is also really interesting because she's mostly been in neutrals the whole film. Pastels, green, yeah, it's strange. With that bright green too. It's very, yeah. She looks great, and mm-hmm. she, she looks great the whole film. And what they put her in there—that's not something that hasn't happened already. But yeah, he drives right through her. She goes in the car, his body through her skull and face, and then our poor guy in the snowplow gets to watch another old man die. I know that we were just like, like God, this guy can't catch a break. But that could have probably been enough to kill him. I mean, yeah. we, we talk about death through unintentional circumstance. I'm going to scare you to death. That could have been enough. And then we get the feral child a bit, and it's it shot really well. We get a nice little surprise, and that's nice and creepy, but why? Yes. Yeah, that doesn't Again, work why? Mm-hmm. Don't you want to see her in the rearview mirror? Yeah. She's more scary than the kid is. Again, we're hearkening back to the characters that I I think we're all in agreement that aren't quite working for us and their inclusion in the movie. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to get the next one. What was his name? Bates? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Something Jeremy Bate? That's not right at all. (laughs) Uh, Gregory Bate. Yes. I think that's right. Picks up Fred Astaire and is threatening him. And Fred Astaire pulls a fast one, pulls his his little shiv out kills him and then the, the car goes rolling to do what to take him back to the house that he was just in already yeah, that he, doesn't even make sense yeah. so, so i think that he was taking him to the lake that she died in i think he was going to drive that car straight into the lake interesting okay okay uh, let's hope okay so he flips the car killing him i assume and then there's an interesting, awkward transition from night instantly into day. <laughs> and I guess Fred Astaire at this point has had a like a coming to Jesus moment saying, I got to get the authorities here. We got to pull this car out. I got to come clean. Um, and then we get the return of Alma. You see, we're going back and forth because Craig Wasson knows her as Alma. These men know her as Eva. Um, it's kind of going back and forth. But her in the wedding dress going down the hallway like that, that's pretty good. Like, And, yeah. then, and then her coming down. Yeah, she's the femme fatale, the succubus of this film. And, like, it's that flinty kind of English-sounding voice that, like, man, like, you kind of fall under the spell of it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think of the sequence? There's a lot going on at the end there. I mean, we got the the car coming up. She's trying to kill Craig Wasson again. And then it all kind of comes to a head when Fred Astaire opens up the carriage and her corpse comes out. What do you guys think? So I will say that the corpse coming out of the car, that was really creepy. The, the effects that they did on that with like the melting, it reminded me of Indiana Jones. Ooh, nice. <laughs> they did a really good job on that. But that whole sequence, of it, it, it's just, it's really creepy. You know, the way she's coming down the stairs and she floats over where he fell through the stairs. Mm. You know, mm. that was kind of cool. That was a cool effect that they did. Yeah. But there's, I'm, I'm glad to see Fred Astaire kind of grow a pair finally. Sure. <laughs> And do the right thing yeah. to kind of stop everything. They don't melt corpses like they used to, do they? <laughs> no. What do you think? Uh, I do like that moment. I mean, I think Dick Smith here, and I, I'd have to look back on when he passed. Um, and Rick Baker had like a, a credit on this too. Mm-hmm. Like he was like in the Universal bullpen because I think he was doing Werewolf in London at this same time. Uh, same studio. 
but he's, he's doing some pretty good work here. I mean, the corpses, when they show up, they're all gross and gooey and melty and decomposing. And I don't know how they did this effect where it kind of like the skin, like the layer of skin, it almost looks like chicken skin, just kind of like falls off of yeah. the head. That looks good. Uh I don't know if the stuff with Craig Watson's working like for me, like, and then she puts up like the a skeleton hand. and then he like yeah. flips out, but I don't know what she wants from him because her beef isn't with him. It's with her the, father the men or his father. Yeah. I don't know you. Yes. Which gets back to, I don't know why this house is important at all. It's better if she goes to each one of their individual houses. Like we all agreed in the doctor's house, her in the black veil downstairs was more effective than in this nondescript broken down blister house in new England doesn't make any sense. Here's my big problem with it. Somehow Ricky, the Fred Astaire character has come to the conclusion that exhuming the body and bringing their sins to light will stop this from happening. And at no point in the film has that been discussed. And even worse, I'm not even sure Ricky is the brains of the organization. I Don't think he's the moral compass. Yes. You kind of get it. It's John Hausman's probably the one for pulling. sure. Yeah. So Ricky's come to this conclusion, and maybe if we pull this out and I can exhume the body, then that will cause this spectral entity to go away. I'm not even sure that works either. And it gets back to something that was really important for the research that you and I talked about with this film, mm -hmm. and that's let's create some nomenclature or some rules around ghosts that vampires and werewolves play by. Ghosts just have free reign of a movie. They show up and they just run amok and we don't know why. We don't know what's keeping them around. We don't know how their powers work. I mean, right. it's all very come as you will. From thermal dynamics mm -hmm. to revenge, there's any number of places that this can work. And I don't even think like bringing the body out of the lake is a terrible idea. Might as well try it. What do you have to lose? And like you said, is he going to go to jail at this point for what, six more months? They're about to die anyway. <laughs> Poor Fred Astaire. Right? So even in the film, it feels like they're a whisper away from mm -hmm. being, you know, dying. Why that? And then you hit the other one that's huge issue for me. Yeah. What is the effect of her decrepit skeleton-like hand going to Craig Wasson's face, she's already got the guys she wants to get. At that point... We're I, kind of off the rails, man. A little bit, but <laughs> I... So I also think that that kind of goes down to having revenge on their families, yeah. too. You know, maybe not the wives, per se, but the men in the family. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Then do him in. Right. Yeah, she should have. Because so, the pulling the car out of that lake is night to day to night. It, that, <laughs> what the hell happening with the editing there? I'm like, boy, that's taking a long time. to That tow truck's slow because it's night and then it's day. Night, day, night. Yep. <laughs> uh, Starts in day, goes to night, gets back. That's a long 30, and then 36. The movie, and then the movie's over. Yeah, pretty much. We, they just, I'm we, tired of making this movie. Let's get out. I, I, I have a big question for both of you right now. There's some good stuff in this film, story-wise, mm -hmm. conceptually. I mean, the makeup's working for us. Maybe the music, not so much. The storytelling element, I think, is pretty effective. You think this could be like remade, like pretty effectively? Absolutely, dying for a remake. Can you imagine like Clooney, like Brad Pitt, Harrison Ford? Ooh, okay. 
Oh, like, you put the cast together of the old, mm-hmm. yeah, like you kind of see them um, with this chowder society. Like I, I'd be willing to kind of buy that, but kind of clean up the issues we were talking about, like like sure. streamline it, man. Yeah, yeah, I'd be on board. Yeah. Okay, Marion well, Cotillard plays the Alma or Eva character. That's pretty. That good. Could be that's good. pretty good. That is good. Jessica Chastain. Ooh, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, love it. Alrighty, guys. Uh, we've reached the end. I, I do have a couple, couple little things. Uh, Owen. <laughs> Please no. Uh, I thought I'd get a better response out of you from that. He kind of just ignored it. So this was the last film for Fred Astaire, Fairbanks, and Douglas. And as we kind of said, Melvin Douglas died four months before the film even came out. So truly, their swan song uh, for uh, for Hollywood. Uh, I mentioned to you guys that the pipe organ in this house is the same pipe organ from Phantom of the Opera, like the Lon Chaney, like 1925. Like, did they really wheel that pipe organ in for that specific specific sequence, or they built the set on the Universal soundstage around that? Like, that's like a piece of Hollywood history. I wouldn't want to like be moving around. I mean, it'll just crumble. Right. Pretty awesome though, right? That, that yeah, is really absolutely. cool. Did I got it? I missed it. Yeah. Is Universal featured in the credits? Yeah, they're the they're the just. I figured just, that, but I just okay. I missed missed that. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, soundstage, and I don't know if you can get a tour of this when you go to Universal Hollywood. You can. I think you might be able to go to that soundstage where they filmed that, and it's relatively unchanged. The, really, the Phantom stage looks pretty similar to that. Okay. That's cool. And that's a piece of Hollywood history. Why would you want to tear that down? I really like the set that they had in that around the organ, but the house it was just creepy mm-hmm. you know with the wallpaper falling apart and we made a little joke about the stained glass You're right that house does not gonna it's not a church it's a house right 13.5 million dollar budget with a 23.4 million dollar gross i don't know if it's that necessarily a winner it's not a loser but um it's a lot of money doubled their investment sure terrible a lot of money probably spent on that 1920s sequence i told you guys i would never want to shoot anything pre circa 1930s because to get those cars that aesthetic i think of the 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 opening scene uh, or godfather part two with Vito in uh uh little sicily there and i think of the untouchables like the work to make chicago look like 1920 chicago my god oh my god i want no part of that um uh, I oh, love too when that movie closes with the part you're talking about, and it says all the suits are done by Armani. Yes, Giorgio Armani. De Palma spent some money <laughs> to make that movie look <laughs> like mafioso Chicago mid twenties to thirties. Now, before we rate this film, let's kind of just uh, kind of reflect on it a little bit. So, Nate, in in leading up to this, we've kind of you know asked some questions. So, when I say favorite, your favorite tasting note favorite tasting note of this bourbon you know they kind of get a little a little kind of sweet taste with this one which is fairly interesting uh but what's your favorite tasting note of ghost story you know i really like how the film is set up just that storytelling element mm. i really enjoyed that part of this movie excellent just as like a mechanism yeah you know just these guys telling this story because that's what they do they tell the stories in the chowder society and they they tell it through these flashbacks or through dreams. Mm. I thought that was really well set up. Matt? It's that part you talked about. I love that she's on the road in that green dress. Mm. I, I think that she's effective in all of this. the scenes where we see her in a less than human state. But that one's subtle enough. And I, I just find myself thinking a lot about why does he get 
the most friendly looking version of her before he dies, P being Sears. When he's been the most cantankerous to right? her in the past. Right. He should get the worst, but he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, he should be eviscerated by the ghost. <laughs> I mean, you could argue that the best version might be given to Ned. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because there was some relationship right. there. There was a little bit of love there. That's, and I, I think that's worth exploring. That's my favorite tasting note is the Ned sequence. In particular, you know, the the, the corpse and him falling, and that's all done very well. But it's her off to the side there at the end of the mm-hmm. road. <laughs> Yikes. Like, th- 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 that stuff in horror really gets under my skin. It's less about the gore and how gross something looks, and it's more about what it leaves you with. Sure. Yeah. Okay, gentlemen of the Chowder Society, <laughs> what is the... Oh my God! We need to take a shot to the King's Creek to kind of wash our palate of it. I'm going to go the, 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 the Craig Wasson uh, full frontal just because, like, good for him uh, to be willing to go through that, but I don't know why it's in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> he could have been in boxer shorts. I mean, it's the shock value. It has to be. Go ahead, Nate. I, I'll agree with you. It, it, it is the shock value. It's something, you know, it's kind of cringy back then, mm. something that you just don't see, but. There was no reason for it. <laughs> There's definitely my yes, I agree. <laughs> definitely an element of sex in this film, and I guess male nudity goes with that. It's just, I don't think this is a shocking film. Mm-hmm. Ghost stories to me are slow burn movies. Sure, that does that does not fit as much as anything else in the movie. It, I'm not even, and please don't anyone think this and say, well, that's how sex is. No. I mean, that's not the point. It's just, it doesn't work in this movie. I don't know why it's in there. And I also don't know how Craig Wasson did this and body heat, which is also a very a body double. Bo- I'm sorry. Body double mm-hmm. a very sexual film. Like who in the, how did his agent I was spin wa- that? I was wondering the same thing. Hey man, I got this guy and he is smoking hot. Look at him. Oh my God. It's not Craig Wasson. And he gets Heather Langenkamp in dream warriors. Riddle me this. <laughs> riddle, me, <laughs> riddle me this, Batman. Yeah. Who's the master distiller on Ghost Story? Matt, why don't you go first? It's Krieg to me. Alice Krieg, if that's how we say her name. Mm-hmm. As uh, Alma slash Eva. She's great. It's her vehicle. It's her. She's good at it. Yeah, I agree. You? Yeah. Uh, ooh, I'll go... It's interesting because the, the the main Hollywood mainstays they're they're the main characters, but they're kind of not either. You know what I mean? This is it's kind of Craig Wasson's vehicle. This is never going to happen ever again in the history of podcasting history. I'm giving it to Craig Wasson, less like for him to agree to the full frontal first of all. But he's actually kind of good in the movie too. I mean, he's playing young brother. He's playing the past, and he actually has to be the selling element to get the Chowder Society on board to even investigate what's going on his his part mostly works for me and i think he's he's pretty good at at his role um not that the other guys are are good or sleepy they're just not featured as as much to really demonstrate how talented actors they are so i ain't giving it to the music for this time (laughs) no no yeah no how are you guys gonna rate and grade ghost story we have rock gut well call single barrel and top shelf i'm gonna go with uh a call plus. You're kind. <laughs> What's your reasoning? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I. Well, I this is the first time watch for you. Yeah, this is the first time watch for me, and I've watched a lot of horror movies with you. 
<laughs> have you, Nate? I have. You're the one that shows them to me because I, I normally don't go out of my way to watch them. I'm a forcible influence. You like, are. Like, I, I, a good influence. <laughs> I show Nate like so much crazy shit. But <laughs> this one was unique. And, and like I said, I really enjoyed the mechanism of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. That, that That's something that you don't get very often in movies in that way, especially a horror movie like this. Sure. You know, I, that that part is kind of just stuck with me. And especially just the cast of this movie, these Hollywood legends, you know. It speaks to your it soul. It does. It speaks to my soul because I love these guys. Yeah, you kind of want a movie called Ghost Story to have like 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 a campfire storytelling yeah. mentality to it. I mean, that's a definite plus of the film. What about you, Matt? I mean, you're, you're the first influence on this film for me. I had never even heard of it until you showed it to me. You're welcome. You think? <laughs> I guess. Um, well, it influenced the story we wrote pretty well. I for mean, sure. w- watching it, I mean, it's it's not a remake, but like the hiding of secrets and the the resurrection of it to the past was a very big influence on the story we ended up writing. We talk a lot about the Star Chamber and maybe how the execution didn't quite get there. Have you seen the Star Chamber with Michael? Not. Dude, tell him the, the idea of the Star Chamber. It's brilliant. Also adapted from a novel, but it's this group of justices that meet in secrecy and each month or period of time, they present a case for the best criminal that got away with it in their courtroom. And then they vote on who that should be the desired hit. And they hire a hitman to go kill that terrible, nefarious person that beat the rap essentially in the courtroom. Wow! So then they're all beholden to each other with this terrible secret that they keep Michael Douglas enters and he has just too much conscience and it's how the star chamber then starts to go after him, which is a genius idea. And much like the jerk, the first half of it is good. And the second half of it is not (laughs) right. That sounds like a really good premise. Oh, we could do a whole cask on great film premises that don't quite (laughs) execute. Get him to the Greek. Yeah. Anyway, that's not this, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's just call for me. It's a perfect blend of great successes and terrible failures. For as unbalanced it is, there is moments that are equally good and bad that somehow seem to get it back to being balanced. It's absolutely influential. Spawned an entire script that you and I wrote that tackles that ghost thing that we just spoke about earlier and creating a nomenclature. Hopefully there's some um, life to that at some point. Mm-hmm. It's a good story. Yeah, It's call. Yeah. Um, it's close to being really, really good, and it's also close to being really, really bad. <laughs> yes, I'll Some, agree with that. Something's keeping it afloat so, <laughs> from drowning. If it was on, I'd probably... Yeah. I, I don't ever want to watch Texas Chainsaw again, and that got a way better rating. This is... For a different reason. Yes. Yeah. This movie is rewatchable. It's entertaining light. If you can get past some of the nonsense in there, and we've talked a lot about Full Frontal, but it, that's actually not even a breaking point in the movie. It's shocking, and it works, if that's what they're trying to do. So we've talked a lot about that. I, it works entertainment-wise. There's some yikes moments in there that are scary, and there's some yikes moments in there that are like, that's trash. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's call. Pure call for me. Three for three, gentlemen. I'm actually probably going to go about a call minus. So we got call minus, call, and call plus. It's like a perfect call balance, too. Yeah. There are things that work for it, like, like the little kind of her in the corner going, hee, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And like all that. And I like the storytelling mechanism. I like the performances. Uh, Ellis Kurge is a very great femme fatale for these gentlemen in this film. Referential to a lot of films you like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it's just the things in there. There's, there's too much excess. I think it can be trimmed. I think some things could be built up and 
Yeah, it's 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 not terrible, uh, but it is still enjoyable. Like I'm glad I've I've come across this film. I own it, and yeah, I'll I'll definitely watch it again um, to kind of revisit that. You don't get a lot of like ghost stories anymore. Like like this is feels like a classic ghost story. Yeah, right. Maybe it's the brandy that like makes it feel so classic. <laughs> but yeah, it's just kind of middle of the road. I, I I would say you seek it out, check it out at least yeah. once, uh, just to kind of see where you fall on the spectrum. But you're not gonna think it's the worst movie, but I don't think you're gonna be putting it on the pedestal with like the thing and films like that either. No. Excellent, gentlemen. To to uh perfect call spectrum rating. <laughs> so let's wrap this thing up with a nightcap. This is the music they play in the ride queue to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride at Disneyland. This is too cheery. Really? No, that's not. That's <laughs> for the ghost story. That's what it sounds like, though. That's, wow. To get there of all the rides, I love it. I like that ride. I know. Yeah, Mr. Toad. And <laughs> another reason why just the music just doesn't quite fit the tone of the film. I want more dreary music. Okay, gentlemen, this is going to be a bit of a surprise, but let's pretend we are members of the Chowder Society. And you have to buy your way in. Do you have a ghostly tale, true life tale, of something that has happened to you that is moderately supernatural? So I'm going to go with, we went camping, Jesse and our friends. We went camping, and for some reason, we all thought it was a good idea to bring a Ouija board with us. Oh, my God. You <laughs> idiots. Are you, I literally have goosebumps right now. So... Oh, Nate. Like, what o'clock? Listen to me scolding him. (laughs) Oh, Nate, how dare you? Get in the corner. It was like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. We're all sitting in the tent. Oh, my God. And we're like, let's pull it out and see what it does. Out in the middle of the woods, pitch black. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see what it does. (laughs) So we're like pulling it out. But what freaked me out Mm -hmm. is while we're doing it, you know, who knows if somebody was actually pushing it or whatever, if it was moving by itself. But Jesse pulls out his phone, and it's this, like, white screen. It's like, for whatever reason, there's no reason for it to be just plain white. My and, phone just like gave out. Yeah, it like freaked out for a second and it stayed like that. And you had to like force reset it. It was weird. It was really weird. So you couldn't call for help? There's no well, service there's no anyway. Service <laughs> it was kind of a bad scenario. Stupid. My favorite question that we asked it was, Mr. Ouija, are you in the forest with us? And the dial went to yes. Yep. I don't know what Mr. Ouija looks like, but he was lurking the woods that night. <laughs> yeah. Safe to say I did not sleep very well that night. Because <laughs> yeah, no. we were farting nonstop, too. <laughs> what about you, Matt? Do you have any type of, like, just weird circumstantial thing that's, like, happened? This is so lame. I don't. Mm. I, I I really wish I had the moment where this supernatural thing... I. Mm-hmm. As much as I love horror, I I don't. I suck at that. Mm-hmm. I've never once had any spectral apparition. I've never played with a Ouija board. Not a single one, fellas. Yeah. I am bone dry on that. You I walk suck this, in that. You walk the safe path. It might be these four Torizian hooves of mine are buried steadily on this earth, and so I just purposely don't look or consider it. But I re- and I'm not even trying to be bombastic or rhetorical i really don't i know mm-hmm. people that have them i just it, it, they're not me can, mm-hmm. I, can i ask you a question of course are you a believer no no 
Okay. That's part of it. <laughs> that is part that of is it. Part it is. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you do have that sense, and I, I would feel I would fall more in line with the believer aspect, and I think you might read into things more than you would when you're kind of saying, oh, that's just wind or the house creaking or something like that. Right. I will make an admission to you both, though. Okay. Of all the things in my life that I've been able to square and make peace with, I'll admit it. I found myself even thinking about it today. Death is still not one. It terrifies me. Absolutely. It causes me anxiety, the finality of it. Like yep. it it bothers me. Yep. Truly. It causes me visceral stress. And you see, that's not one that actually bothers me. Oh really? Well, God bless you. because um, <laughs> it, it anyway, I don't want to get into it because it, yeah. it really does. I think part of what I just said is self-defense. Mm-hmm. Sure. Honestly, it's to keep myself protected and safe from that space that I don't like to think about. Sure. Excellent. I have one more for us this evening before we break for the day. I need my good John Hosman voice. No. So Nate was also there. So we have a, a buddy, his name's Steven. And for years he had, I'd been to his house 20, 30, many times. But it always told me, he's like, Jesse, I think there's something weird with like my house. Like, like shit'll just fall off the walls randomly or like I'll be downstairs and then like you'll hear like footsteps upstairs and it's really weird. And like one time, like, like I heard like laughing upstairs, but there was no one else in the house. And I'm like, Steven, you're full of shit. Like there's nothing out there. Like I'm I'm not going to like buy into that, that aspect. Uh, So we had one, one evening there. It was a drunken evening and Nate was there and we had all our buddies. We must have had like 10 beers each between the two of us. My God. But (laughs) (laughs) is that the horrifying part of the story? (laughs) Back when you could and you'd be fine the next day. Those days are long gone. Long gone. Now I might be fine the next week. (laughs) The next month. Uh, So we're sitting there and everyone's pissed drunk there. And Nate and I, we're we're still kind of awake and the TV's on. I think Tropic Thunder's actually like on HBO and we're kind of sort of paying attention to that, trying to fall asleep. And in the kitchen, I shit you not, this like heavy footsteps, like a, like a tall person, like one after like, that's pretty terrifying. And then the light turned on in the kitchen and and I turned, Nate was sleeping on the couch and I was on the floor and I like looked up at him like this and I was like, Nate, you hear that? Right. And he said, yeah. And I said, Nate, do you want to go like, you want to go check it out? And he said, no. And I was like, I don't either. Let's go back to sleep. <laughs> really, really kind of freaked me out. Yeah. And so I didn't, I didn't question Steve's like solutions about, or like what was going on in the house. Cause I was like, that didn't sound right. It sounded like there was someone walking around in the kitchen, kind of pacing back and forth. Yeah, it was it was creepy. So that's creepy. I'm kind of one to kind of fall with like on, on your like, yeah, that's I could kind of like it's the house making noise. It's this and that. But I'm also like there's unlike there's spirits that are not at rest either. And right. the reason being I'm a believer. Yeah, I, I, I truly believe, you know, there are there's spirits that are stuck and they need help finding their way. Look, if you even want to apply science to it. So as much as I say I'm not a believer, like mm-hmm. I, I'm admitting to you all as that story just creeped me out a little bit, mm-hmm. that I think that's just where I have to be so I don't make myself uncomfortable all the time. Energy never ceases. It just changes form. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. We are energy. Yes. I'm going to leave it at that. Amen to that. Yep. 
Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Love it. Uh, well, that's a wrap on Ghost Story. Nate, thank you for coming on this week. It's been fun showing you the film and great having you on as well. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun, guys. Yeah, thank you, Nate. We've talked a lot. You're, you're, you're really good. You're good at coming up with ideas of casks for us. One of the great ones that... I just I'm dying to tackle at some point is the Japanese whiskey cask with samurai films. Mm-hmm. I'm pumped. Yeah. <laughs> and I know like we Matt and I, we haven't even dabbled into Westerns yet. I know how big a fan you are of John Ford's The Searchers, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valent, like all that classic West. Like we have to do a Western cask at some point because of how important it is to the just filmmaking in general. Yeah. You got to come back for one of them. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd be more than happy to. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we got one more week of Horror Plus One coming up next week. This is going to be a wild ride because I already know Matt doesn't isn't necessarily the biggest fan of this movie, and no. I like it, and I don't know where our guest is going to fall on the spectrum, but maybe she'll be the dividing factor from 1977, Daria Argento's Suspiria. Mm-hmm. It's a witch movie. <laughs> Talk about witches, him for the first time, the Goblin score. I mean, you know Goblin. I mean, we were playing Goblin music like all growing up through high school. Uh, but uh, I'm excited to talk about it. It should be a very interesting discussion. Much like E.T., I'm going to go into this with a very open mind and try. I've only seen it twice, and mm-hmm. that's not even really fully twice. Uh-huh. So I'm going to go in there giving it every benefit of the doubt, and maybe I'll have an E.T.-like moment where it's not rock gut that was that was really surprising for me too like when we reflect back on the year and 100 episodes et might be the most surprised i was at a film like yeah. going in like man um going in guns blazing man i hate this little turd alien <laughs> actually i enjoyed the movie like and it affected me emotionally it was a that was a weird experience but yeah maybe you'll have an et moment maybe yeah I know where I stand on, on Suspiria, but... We're not going to bring my daughter back on to talk about that film. <laughs> witch, 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 witch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's, uh, yeah so, so much. But you get that coming to you next week. So until then, gentlemen, cheers. Cheers. Not even cheers. a send-off this week. To the gentlemen of the Chowder Society, I bid you farewell. Beautiful. Buddy, have a good week. You too, guys. Thanks for having me. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Ghost Story is property of Universal Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Aren't you even going to say hello? Oh, Don, you disappoint me. (sighs) I thought you'd be dying to see me.